Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. My name is David Massover. I'll be your host today. And today we've got a great guest. We're talking to Kevin Mulrain, the VP of Mid-Market Sales and Customer Experience at Global Web Index. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited to be here and chat today. Yeah, it's going to be great. So Kevin, you're a VP of sales. You've got 15 years of experience in in sales and and all that good stuff. You're the co-host of the Addicted to Growth podcast. So with all that experience and with all that perspective, what's the single best piece of sales advice that you ever received? That's a great question. And I do try and reflect back on that because one of the things I, I always do, it's like, I always think it's like, a, it's all about back to the basics, right? But I think one of the best pieces of sales advice I have received was try to detach yourself from the end result. So try to detach the, the emotion of getting to the close and getting to the yes and really focus your efforts on helping your prospects make a decision. And so in that light, it's, you know, the worst answer in sales is a maybe. In sales, the most valuable, valuable resource we have is our time. And so I found that by focusing on helping your prospects make a decision or your clients make a decision, it really helps you prioritize where to spend your time and really helps you focus on adding value for the client. So that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that I was given that, you know, just help me, help me focus, help me close more. That is excellent advice. And it's not advice that you hear a lot. People say similar things to that, but the idea of detaching the emotion from the outcome, I really like that because it gives you space to be that trusted advisor. You hear trusted advisor all the time. What does that mean? I wrote a book 10 years ago, Mastering Your Sales Process, and I articulated Mm -hmm. a, a sales philosophy that was very simple. Your job is to help your customer make a decision about whether it's a good idea to use your products and services for the problem they're trying to solve. And I think you're so right. When you take that approach, you create the right relationship. You take a lot of pressure off yourself. You work the process. And that's, that's going to help you get to the right end result for everybody. Yeah, it's tough because you're playing the long game, right? Like you're definitely playing the long game. And, and I've had initial conversations with potential clients that I actually realized, hey, you guys, you need something a little bit different. You need something a little bit a little bit different that's going to help you achieve your goals or overcome these challenges. And so you might want to talk to, to these guys over here. Not a lot of sales reps do that. but And, and look, obviously, short-term you know, was, wasn't revenue credit for, for myself or the team or the company. But long-term, you know, those are clients that down the road, they, they trusted me. I built relationships with that I, I definitely, again, in the long run, uh, I'd say came out on top. And you feel good when you look in the mirror because you're not some guy trying to ram something down somebody's throat. You're just trying to help somebody make a decision based on the knowledge and experience you have. 100%. 100%. So detach yourself from the outcome, work the process, help your prospects make a good decision. Fantastic advice. What's some of the worst sales advice you ever received? Oh, boy. Like, talk to anybody. Talk to everybody. Right. Um, sounds, sounds like something your, your uncle would say when he find, found out you got a sales job. Oh, just talk yeah. to everybody. Well, I actually, when I, t- when I told my family I got a sales job, they said, you're in sales? 
Like they didn't believe it and neither did I, but no, but it was, I think there's, there's a lot of wasted effort. There's a lot of wasted energy. And you, you know, again, like I said, your biggest, most valuable asset as a salesperson is, is your time. No matter what we all, whether, and you remove the talent and the skills that you have, we all have 24 hours in a day. No one's got 25, no one's got 26. We all have 24. And you have to be very, very selfish of where you spend your time. And if you're talking to everybody, you're probably not being as efficient, right? So I think it's you know, on the inverse of that, it's just it's nailing your ICP, understanding your personas intimately, like really identifying those triggers, like really know where to spend your time, where you're going to get the best ROI. So where sales advice was just go talk to anybody that'll pick up the phone. <laughs> so, so when your great uncle says, talk to everybody, you should smile and nod and then go back to your office and focus on your ICP. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Love Keep it. him happy. <laughs> there you go. He met well, right? Oh yeah. The intention was there. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, you and I connected around a post that I did on, on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, or at least a couple of weeks before we were recording this. And it was about the frustrations that a lot of companies and hiring managers face when they're hiring into sales roles. And so you and I decided to jump on a call and discuss that. And I really like the way you, you think about this. It's a little bit different than what I run into from a lot of people. Your point of departure is different and some of your ideas are different. So if that's okay with you, I'd love to dig into that a little bit today. This is a topic that uh, I'm super passionate about and, and, and love chatting about. So yeah, excited to dive in. Cool. Let's do it. So most people, when they think about sales hiring, you know, the conversation kind of gravitates to things like ads and recruiters and resumes and interviews and role plays and the place of video and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But when you and I started our conversation, the first thing that you focused on was the question of when, when to hire. Why is that important? And, and how do companies sometimes get that wrong? It's so important because there's a really, really high cost to potentially a bad hire. And not just looking at, hey, this person doesn't have the right skill sets, but are we set up to hire in the sense of, is the demand there? Do we have the proper resources to onboard and get this person up to speed, right? And so, you know, I think that there's, there's a really high cost to, to a bad hire, but it's not so much looking at the employee as the bad hire, but as a bad situation or a situation or scenario that's not set up properly. So I think a lot of companies historically have thrown a lot of headcount at growth and more quota doesn't always mean more results. And I I really see more of a, uh, or I hope to see more of a future around building this, this supporting cast around sales orgs that really focus on enabling and training and, and building up the support for a sales organization to maximize the efficiencies of growth versus chucking headcount at growth. So you, you also spoke about metrics as a part of this decision. The philosophy is fantastic. I mean, it kind of sounds a little bit like it's not you, it's me, but in the right way. So, <laughs> yeah. so in, in the spirit of self-reflection and having a company really ask themselves, are we prepared to hire? What are some of the metrics that should be considered before a decision is made to bring on additional sales roles? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think there's a couple of things you can look at, right? Like I think first and foremost, it's you can look at your customer acquisition costs, right? So 
and you can break that down to an individual rep basis. That's one way of looking at it in a similar lens or, you know, a similar approach. It's, you know, you can look at pipeline coverage. You can look at quota attainment per rep. There's a couple different things here, but I think what you really want to get a sense of is if we were to add an additional quota carrying headcount to the existing team, what does that necessarily do to the rest, right? So as an example, if, if your pipeline coverage isn't there and everyone's struggling to create pipeline and everyone's struggling to get to quota, well, adding an additional headcount is going to make that worse for the entire team. Right, not just for that one individual that you're bringing on board, it's going to make things more daunting and more challenging for the existing folks that are that are in the seats. And so, I think with hiring, you really have to nail it before you scale it. Right, like I think you really have to be able to build out a small team, build out your process, and execute on that process before you can say, "Hey, look, let's replicate this." If if you don't feel like you're in a position to replicate the success of existing reps you probably have other things to figure out before adding additional headcount into the mix. That's fantastic. I love that. I remember way back in in 1999, I kind of got involved in my first startup company. I'd just been you know, selling and managing and doing that kind of stuff. I got involved in it. And, and there were some really, really smart people that I was able to learn from. And one of the first ideas that really got stuck into my head was problems also scale. Problems also scale. So if you don't work out your problems, they're going to scale right along with you. And it's much better to kind of nail all that stuff down before you try to grow. That's exactly it. Because even it's like tackle tackle them when they're small problems. And that's the thing. I think that we're also focused on fixing the big problems that are that are nagging on us today. And not saying that they're not worth fixing, but I think back to the the short game versus the long game, but When it comes to some problem solving, I think you have to really look at how these problems do scale with you. And and are you fixing the problems that, you know, it may not be a thorn in your side today, but if you were to escalate this over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, what does that problem look like? You know, I think the problem solving is a big component to it. And then I also think, you know, the, I know the one thing we spoke about as well, though, but when you're hiring that sales culture is so critical. And I think even more so that, that a lot of teams are remote. You bring somebody into the bunch and if things aren't set up properly, you, can have a, you could have a pretty negative impact on culture and morale. And so, you know, again, I think you got to sort of really protect you know, the group you have before adding more on top. So repeatable sales process that, that you can really articulate, you understand it, you've got the tech to support it, you've got the processes and the people to support it, you've got sales culture. Are, are there any other big kind of categories that you think people ought to be thinking about as, as having nailed down before they bring somebody on board? Yeah, so I think it goes back to the, the scorecard, right? And I think, you know, you mentioned startups, right? And so I... I've historically been in the scrappy startup type space and I know what my reality is. I know the resources my reps have. I know the resources they don't have. And I've historically in the past, I've, I've made the mistake of, you know, I found, you know, the number one salesperson that was at insert big company logo here. And they are a super amazingly talented person, but they did not thrive in that environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They're very and, different. 
super, super different. So I think what you really have to look at is, and sometimes it's tough because it's an, it's an honest look in the mirror and saying, Hey, look, you know what? Our onboarding or our process, it isn't well-defined today. So that just means you have to hire somebody that's going to, maybe he's a little bit more entrepreneurial. Maybe it has a little bit more of that. You know what? We don't have it figured out. So I'm going to figure it out with you. I think that's a big part of it is, is have your scorecard for your candidates, but have that real honest conversation with, with your team in terms of, hey, look, here's what reality looks like for us. And here's what we need to go hire for. And making sure that everyone's aligned on those things. Because you know, the last thing you want to then get into is found this great candidate. And then you know, your, your, your HR recruitment manager thinks they're great. The sales manager doesn't think they're so great. And you're now kind of in this he said, she said battle. So I think just really aligning on what you're looking for and what reality is goes a long way to, to ensure a smooth process. So my regular listeners know that I'm not afraid to ask the incredibly stupid question. So please brace yourself. Here it comes. You know, most companies just aren't that disciplined about these things. Most companies probably don't have a really nailed down sales process. Culture could be stronger, especially now that it's remote. It's a little bit trickier. And so if it was bad before, it's worse now. Onboarding isn't lined up. Scorecards aren't well developed. You know, that, that's kind of the current reality. So what's the big deal? What's the potential downside of hiring into a sales role before you've got all those ducks in a row? Everybody does it. You know, what's the problem? What, what have you seen? Yeah, so I think quantify the cost of a bad hire for you, right? And that could be potential lost revenue. That could be time and resources, right? That can be also the, the, the gap from when you make that bad hire to define your process, right? So you, you onboard somebody that they're a couple of months, they're not working out. You're devoting a ton of time and attention into that individual because nobody wants to say, I made the bad hire, right? You're going you're gonna to put every ounce of, of your energy into turning that around. Then it's like, okay, it's still not working. Performance improvement plan. You know, you're talking six to nine months and then potentially another three, call it three months before you get somebody else in the door. So when you start to really look at it, the cost of a bad hire from actual money, right? You're, you're the capital at which you're paying people, the time investment into these folks, and then also the potential lost revenues of, hey, look, if we hired a good person and they were at a certain quota attainment, which we anticipate, you know, this is what we could have potentially had. And then again, if you, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, it's, well, they had some sales conversations and you know, these were companies that were in evaluation. So not only did we not win them, they actually went to a competitor and they're locked up for the next 12, 24, 36 months. You know, so th- there's a lot of ways in which you can start to quantify it. I think what you have to do is take a look and, and start to quantify the impact. And those are all tangible things, right? But then the, again, the cultural impact. You make one, two, three, couple bad sales hires. Yeah, you can chalk it up that it's happening everywhere. But if you look at your really highly engaged, high-performing folks, and you know how are they perceiving the decision making that's happening as well? So it's easy. I guess you know it's it is. It's that tough look in the mirror to have the real honest conversation with yourself. But this is what the ripple effect can be, and you just need to start to to have that conversation and quantify that for yourself. Yeah, there's a whole lot of tangibles, but but sometimes it's the intangibles that that just drive you nuts. You know, the time you're spending, the energy you're spending, you know, the grumblings that are happening among the team. 
the impression that you're leaving in the marketplace because some of the people doing your outreach aren't reflecting very well on you. It's like, uh, you know, a, a very slow torture. One of the things a previous uh, boss of mine said was that a good marketing team is actually a really well-trained sales team. If you are putting people out into the market, you know, and especially too, like frontline sales, man, that's the first impression somebody may have of your brand. And there's a lot to be said about the role that even just the customer and experiences is playing within organizations now. And that first touch that a brand may have with your company, that's critical, right? That's really critical. So if, if you're putting people that either A, aren't the right folks, or B, you're not giving them the resources in order to execute at a high level, then you gotta, you're going to have to expect poor results. Let's shift the conversation a little bit. You are a VP of sales, and you've been in your current role for, for more than two years, which these days, that's well be typical 14 to 18 that, that we read about all the time. Do, do you think that some of these hiring practices that you've touched on, you know, hiring for the wrong reasons at the wrong time, without the right environment, without considering metrics, do you think that has something to do with the idea of, you know, a VP of sales has a short shelf life these days? Yeah, I, I think this is, this is one component to it. Absolutely. I think it's, it's also a little bit more of a, of a, of a broader issue, which is, you know, like I, I think a lot of founders, CEOs, like they want to hire that VP of sales and they think that they can come in and, and, and fix all my problems, right? Like if you look at really successful sales organizations or revenue organizations, there's never one driving force, right? You know, you got great marketing, great messaging, a well-trained team, You've got a great product market fit, you know, like enablement's there to help. And it's a team sport is the way I look at it. And I think that too many organizations look at the VP of sales that we all have this magic wand and poof, I'm going to come in, I'm going to fix all your problems. And in six months, 12 months, I'm going to turn this around for you. It's more than that, right? If you were to look at, you know, companies that are missing revenue targets have you ever heard the VP of product get fired because you, you missed revenue targets because the, the product is just not a good fit for the market or is missing features? No, you never do, right? So I think that there is this stigma that sales can fix all and you just need a really good leader who's been in there and done it. And you look at a lot of these sales leaders who they build companies up and, and they IPO and Companies being bought and events and all this kind of great stuff. And, you know, the reality is, it's like, yes, you were there and you probably played a big part in it, but you were not alone. Like you had a team, you had an amazing marketing product founder, you know, insert other components to drive to that growth. So I I think, I think it's a bigger issue or bigger challenge, but the, the hiring components definitely plays a role in it. So I've always had the idea that sales is pretty misunderstood by non-salespeople. At the most basic level, it's pretty simple. But how exactly to do it right? And it sounds like what you're saying is, if there's a belief that at the VP level, this whole selling ice to Eskimos and holes to donuts thing is what we do no matter what, then it's not a sales problem. It's really a perception problem. It's It's a leadership problem. It's a management problem. If there's a VP of sales listening to this and thinking, yeah, that's totally what's happening at my company, how do you start to turn that around? 
it starts at the top, right? It, it, it starts with the C-suite, the executive leadership team. It's just the understanding of, of expectations and, and who plays a role in what. So as companies are going into, you know, 2021 planning, you know, really having conversations around, you know, like expectations and, and really aligning on the most important metrics in the business, right? And whether if top line revenue growth is, is the thing, well, then whether your sales, you know, you're hearing a lot more marketing teams being measured and bonus, a commission, whatever, but really, really focused on revenue. But if your product team is, is, has some type of tie to a revenue number, is that going to create more alignment? You know, like possibly. So I think it's just, it starts at the top and it's getting all these different departments that work collectively and need to collaborate, but it's just getting them all rowing in the, in the same direction. This feels to me like the future of successful, not sales organizations, but organizations. I get asked that question a lot. You know, what's the future of sales? And some of the, the best leaders that I see, some of the smartest people that I talk to, they seem to be attacking the problem from, let's not just focus on sales. Let's focus on the customer. Let's look at all the different things that are touching the customer, impacting the customer, and make sure that internally we're properly aligned, we're communicating properly, we're set up properly to give the customer a great experience. And then not only does sales win and the company win, but just everybody wins. Yeah, I see it. You know, and I think it's from that first initial touch, whether that's coming from a, you know, called an SDR or from from marketing, all the way through to the way that your your finance team, right, interacts to collect invoices. I do think that you can see it through through data, you know, companies are more likely to work with vendors because of the sense of community and the positive experience that they have with those companies. And so it is. It's becoming, you know, the, the buyers are evolving. What's important to buyers are, is evolving. And I think that everything you do should revolve around the voice of the customer. That is, and again, that's not a sales, marketing, CS, product. I mean, that is a company-wide thing. So I'm definitely with you. It's, it's no longer about what's the future of the best sales orgs. It's, or I guess the answer to that is it's not just the sales org. It's, it's alignment across all orgs to ensure a best in class, whatever you want to call it, but a you know, second to none customer experience. And each of the pieces along the way is also going to be, be better off for it. Yep, 100%. And again, it's, it's the long game. It's not about landing that monster first initial deal, right? I think it's, it's really that land expand, build an amazing experience, provide value, and, and the rest will take care of itself. Well, listen, Kevin, this has been a great conversation. We started talking about hiring and immediately went into this holistic perspective of you know, what's happening in the organization. We started talking about the VP of sales. We expanded that out. I just wanted to ask you one more kind of general question, not really related sure. to what we've been talking about, but just in general. So if somebody out there is listening and they're in a sales role now, and they're thinking about getting into sales management, you know, given all the changes that we've talked about and all of kind of the, the, the more enlightened perspectives that seem to be evolving in our world of sales, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's, who's looking to make that kind of a transition into sales management? I love this topic too. There's definitely a handful of things that I get excited about and passionate about, but I think, I think this is one because it was always super important to me. But I'm an individual contributor sales rep. I want to get into management. 
My first question is why? And the reason I think it's such an important question is because it's a completely different role. And I think the skill sets, the behaviors, the personalities that it takes to be successful in management, I don't want to say are opposite, but are definitely very different than what it takes to be an individual contributor. So understanding your why is super important in anything. But as you make that type of transition, you know, the roles are very, very different in my eyes. And so understanding that why and having, you know, hopefully you either have somebody, whether it's a manager, a mentor, someone you can go to, but someone who can really explain those differences within the role, just because it's managing people doesn't mean it's the next natural progression in your career, right? Yeah, there's a big Um, difference between being an individual contributor and enabling individual contributors. Big time, big time. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's understanding why for those that are kind of putting the, you know, the, the we before the me, that's kind of the first, Hey, you're, you're on the right path. Like, you know, that that's, I knew that, like I knew early on, it was so much more rewarding for me to see those around me being successful because I kind of gave them like, Hey, like use this question or try and close like this or, or go after this. Anytime I felt like I was helping the team out and I saw them succeeding, I was just like, man, like I was more fired up to see people close those deals than I was closing my own. And so early on, I knew that was the path I wanted to take. There's, I don't want to say cons to it because it's just different, right? Like you're, you're kind of a, you're a step away from the outcome, right? And so if you like to have control of your outcome and you don't want to have to worry about other people dictating your performance to your goal and you know, like these are things you need to be aware of. And so it's crazy. I also think too, you know, you could probably be an amazing sales manager without having sold before. Now you don't see that, right? But like, I'd love to see it maybe. And if, if there's somebody out there, you know, who's listening to this, please, please, please reach out to me. I'd love nothing more. Cause I think that that would be so intriguing because that's, that's how different I think some of the, the skill sets really are. Are you closing with controversial stuff? That's fantastic. Yeah. So for anybody, <laughs> for anybody that wants to send some hate over to Kevin for this <laughs> radical idea of sales managers that never sell, where's the best place to find you? Where can we find your podcast? I am definitely on LinkedIn. So definitely feel free to reach out to me directly. We also have a, a LinkedIn page for the podcast itself. So, so check that out. It's just addicted to growth. But yeah, feel free. Anytime people love, you know, talk and shop, want to pick, you know, share ideas, collaborate. It's something I obviously enjoy doing. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, This was excellent, Kevin. This was a a great episode. I'm looking forward to posting it. I'll put all of your contact information in the notes and and thank you so much for spending some time and, and sharing your insights with us. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.